What? Chip Joe, say, baby. <laughs> you, you, you promised me a couple of episodes ago to announce my name as well, but I, I will, I will. Somebody, uh, Steve, Steve Sanchez requested that specifically of you. Right, right. It's, it's a little different. Right. The Eugene B. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's that's good enough. That's good enough. What's new? How's uh, how's U.S. treating you still? Good, good. Yeah, I'm in um, I'm in Charleston right now, South Carolina. Yeah, wow. yeah. Just a bit oh. of a bit of business. A bit of business. <laughs> it's like it's like nor It's kind of like normal over here now. You know. Um, I, I I was gonna say. So today I went uh, to visit our friends at Almiral. Uh, Francesca ah. and you know every everybody has to wear masks right, um, right. everywhere right. um right. but it actually felt good to be out I kind of dressed up and you know changed that in my sweatshirt and <laughs> I'm kind of like I took a um, um a, a gum pack with me and then I'm like why do I have gum I don't need it I have a mask <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's right that's right yeah yeah it's so, only you uh, it's not anyway. you know. yeah but um you know, uh, I know we we sort of leave it to our our, our friends uh, Jess and uh, and and Balti Boy uh, to give some you know investment news, but this right. this one actually just astounded me. I don't know if you know the company Doximity, right? They're physician tools or whatever. And right. to me, the dumbfounding part is that they. I'm reading this. It's a press release. Doximity announces confidential submission of draft registration for an IPO for S1, but wow. like. Why do a press release for a confidential <laughs> submission? I don't I know. Anyway, a, I think it's like a technical thing. It's like a it's meaning that there the details of the of the report are maybe some technical thing. But yeah, it's a bit of a it's it's yeah it's not proper use know. of English language. <laughs> maybe <laughs> no, it just sounds pretty funny. But um, yeah, and that uh, other one that that other one's amazing. The better um, the better uh, SPAC is it? Uh, the better SPAC was kind of pre revenue. One that they're oh uh, oh uh, yeah we we didn't that's right it's it just it's it's also uh, fresh so better therapeutics yeah I mean uh, I started a whole discussion on Twitter on it like I to I, me um, uh, again as I as I tweeted like to me there's uh, it's awesome to have the transparency but like at the same time you know you're basically still in research um, mode and you know I would sort of then start questioning like are there not enough DCs that believe in that, and then what makes you think? I, I don't know. I'm I'm str I'm struggling with that one, and I, you know, right. to be frank, I also not sure if that's great for the rest of the DTX industry, right? Um, just I, yeah. I don't know. Um, no, I feel good about it. I feel like you know, it's one of those things where, you know, people are trying. There's obviously capital available, yeah, and yeah. there, you know, people are are trying new kind of modalities. So this, this is the classic, you know, biotech you know, model of, hey, we're going to build a product in a certain area. And so those are always funded in a pre-revenue. And then, then it's based on the science. It's based on the caliber of the team. Um, yep. It's maybe on some IP. So so I think it's good that money's going into that and, you know, that it's kind of running towards it. It, it, it would feel like a bit of risk capital, you know, going into it from that standpoint, you know, to your yeah. point, like a biotech. Yeah, yeah, and and again, right? The pathway, and I I didn't see, but I saw a bunch of other people do it. Like the pathway to, um, to revenue, sort of this, you know, well, somebody will reimburse it, great, but there's a roadway. So, right. anyway, listen, um, our guest is uh, anxiously waiting, um, and you know, speaking of like deals and all of this, uh, I was super excited to reconnect with her after many years uh, as I'm sitting on the terrace, um, and I'm gonna let her in. Um, Megan Fitzgerald, and I will tell you and probably her a little bit of a of a secret when she gets in here. Okay. <laughs> hey there. Hey. There she nice. is. Nice so to meet you, Megan. Megan and Klaus. Jim, and Klaus. Jim, Hello, nice Klaus. to see you. I love. I I, and, and what's what's? You heard it was a, a digital show. It's his favorite show. He had a, he had to do a drive by. <laughs> this is awesome. our second dog in the show. This is amazing, you know. Right. right. Oh, really? See, I didn't know that. This might be the largest dog, though. Yeah, I think so. Uh, so, uh, before you do your own introduction, Megan, I was just telling Jim. So, we, you know, we we record a minute or two before we let our guest in. Um, 
I don't think many people know that the reason that Jim and I actually know each other, or the reason I'm even in Europe is, a, you know, a good portion of that is due to you. Because I still remember the day when, you know, you and I were at Metco together and you were sort of the yep. championing of Europa Epithic Venlo and the acquisition. And I remember walk, you know, walking into your office, kind of like peeking in. You had no idea who I am. Um, I knew who you are. And so you're going to need like a CIO over there, right? Um, and so, you know, we've sort of navigated all of that. And, you know, Metco brought me over to the side of the pond. So the reason Jim and I are friends is because of you. There you go. This is That's amazing. This I'm is the Kevin Bacon of Eugene's life. <laughs> <laughs> the Kevin Bacon. That's awesome. Isn't but that crazy, though? I worked at Merck when Merck owned Medco. And I remember thinking, no, I don't want to go over and work in a managed care division. And then eventually, uh, you know, they separate and I work at Medco. And then Eugene comes in. He's, I'm like, CTO, CIO. Like, why do we even do that? that? <laughs> Way ahead of it. Way ahead of it. It was decades before there was even like every company had a CTO and it's, you know, executive committee. Right. Eugene was all in healthcare. Yeah. So, but but for our millions of listeners and viewers, I mean, I know you. You just met Jim, but maybe, uh, and I'll sort of peek this a little bit. But um, oh, I, wow. I I I loved it. I actually just started reading it yesterday. I even though I got it a while back, but I love the title. The coloring book. It'll take you. <laughs> Ascending da Davos. Uh, Davos: A Career what? Journey from Emergency Room to the Boardroom. So. Uh, maybe not in a book thing, but like in 60 seconds or two minutes or something. <laughs> Give us a little bit of your background. Yeah, so I, I started work in an emergency room and then uh, went to uh, work on the Tohono O'odham Indian Reservation, almost south of the border in Nogales, Arizona. Um, and then, you know, got into corporate America, Merck, Pfizer, then Medco, then Cardinal, uh, on the board of tenant. So I've done almost the whole 18% of GDP. There's a few of us that, you know, can't keep a job. Uh, but the one thread I've kind of missed that runs, you know, through my whole career is obviously what you guys are deep in and that's, you know, digital and tech. Uh, so I, uh, you know, have such an appreciation for the show. I think a big part of what I like to do too, is I love academics. I teach at Columbia, I teach at city university of New York, Ironically, I you know got a PhD in public health and epidemiology focused on the uh, socio-determinants of health before it was even something anyone wanted to talk about. And that's kind of always been my beacon and you know guiding light is to do well by patients and stay close to the patients. And it's you know made me uh, probably a better person and a, certainly a better deal maker because at the end of the day, if you're not doing something for a patient, you're probably not going to be successful. What what made you leave? Uh, the emergency room and and you were in nursing or not all not yeah. only okay just yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I was an EMT and then I was a nurse um, I remember you know making a spreadsheet about a job that was like $22,000 a year or $26,000 a year if I wanted to work down on the reservation and I'm like oh I'm going to take the $26,000 a year job and then I realized it was like a two-hour commute each way so suddenly it wasn't more money it was all in gas and you know battle pay I I really felt like um there was more that I wanted to do at the population level and it's a high burnout you know you would you would come home and somebody in your family would say they're not feeling well and you'd be like please you didn't flip a car or you know you're not a hurt child it really it really is very very tough i can only imagine in a time of covid what it was like for all the first responders and probably a lot like what happened after 9 11 with the first responders they're going to be suffering for years to come because you're just on the whole time you're on for 14 hours so when someone says hey i can't wear a mask it's like well try wearing a mask and boot and a hat and all kinds of gear for 14 hours, you know, right. saving lives. So it was really high burnout. I felt like there's more I wanted to do. Um, you know, it was probably the best degree I ever got because I had such an appreciation for patients. But I, I felt like I liked to build things and put things together, which is what led me to, you know, strategy ultimately. So I didn't do it very long, went back, you know, got an MBA, eventually got an MPH, eventually got a doctorate and just kind of kept going to school. And adding to my portfolio, but um, also, you know, you work really hard. Um, 
And I don't know that you get appreciated as much. I read recently, like you could manage Chipotle and make more than you could um, even as a nurse practitioner, not to take away from anybody managing Chipotle, but, you know, kind of think about that puts it in, it puts it into perspective. Right, right. And what, what, we got to touch on the reservation. What, what, like, what, what, did you, what was the big takeaway from working on the reservation? That you remember it? Oh God, vividly. Uh, and I remember um, no cell phone service work down there. You passed all the telescopes because it's like the most beautiful sky in the world. I remember one night having to slam on the brakes because we saw four little legs in the road and I thought they were little children and we hit a cactus me and a patient care tech that I was commuting with. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, are you okay? And we, once we figured out we were okay, I said, thank God, hopefully the kids are okay. And we looked out the window and it was this enormous cow that was like, the four <laughs> legs were cow legs that looked like children in, in the, you know, in the car. But what I learned is um, work on an Indian reservation is so rewarding and you realize how much more um, we owe indigenous people and, and how much they've been left behind. And, you know, thinking that you just drop off food or you do a little bit here, you know, there's a higher incidence of suicide with younger people on the reservation. Diabetes is really prevalent and, you know, they need a lot of support and help. And I don't know that we always, um, understand that many of the, uh, patients children went on to be nurses and doctors and years later I would see them there back on the reservation uh, taking care of their own which was amazing by the way there was really no border wall there that, that was a big irony to me you could just walk across there'd be coyotes walking across I went to lunch in Mexico you could come back it really wow. was very free and and those on the Tohono O'odham reservation believe that they didn't believe in walls and like preventing people from coming out so I read with great interest you know a lot what's going on with immigration and the debate because we would see people walk days to cross and it's 120 degree heat down there uh, and it was intense and so you have an appreciation that if you've walked for four days uh, it must be for good reason so I, I honestly got almost all of my inspiration. To, to work in population health and to, and to help people have better lives from that time on the reservation, Jim. So I'm glad you asked me about it. A lot of people don't. It literally was like, you know, going into the military. It was just a surreal place to work at a very surreal time. Right. That's awesome. And, yeah. and I'm sure you talked to a certain extent uh, to it in the book. Um, I actually, I'm curious. I, I think you've seen this and I'm, I'm desperately trying, not desperately, but trying to write mine. And what, what, what was the sort of the motivation to write the book um, and a little bit of the process you took? So I'm, I'm taking hints from you now, as I did back 10, 12 years ago. <laughs> oh my gosh, I feel like you could do this in a snap and I, I should be following you. So I, I'm really lucky that I, what I teach a class called the Business of Healthcare at Columbia. I've been teaching it now for seven years. And we walk the students through the Fortune 500 um, of all payers, providers, how the whole 18% of GDP moves. And teaching that class required a syllabus and reading. And there really wasn't a lot on the business of healthcare, how all the capital flows, all the players. A lot of people still don't even know what a PBM is, Eugene. I mean, that, you know, my mom, when I went to Cardinal, she's like, oh, it competes with Medco. And I'm like, no, that's a distributor. You know, you tell people in Europe about system and they're like what is that so it, it was a fascinating class to teach and bring to life but it made me realize instead of making a new syllabus every year why don't I write a book and it lays out uh, the class but also lays out my journey because if anyone could rise and have a career um, I was like an unlikely story you know I wasn't like necessarily an overachiever and um, so I feel like if I could do it, anybody could do it. So not only do I take you through, you know, all the sectors of healthcare, oh, wow. um, I kind of through my journey and how I made career pivots and what I really value and, you know, trials and tribulations of ascending the ladder, which you both know really well. And a lot of people appreciate the story and really the punchline of the whole book is that health is a form of wealth. You get caught up in your title, how much you're making, and then suddenly two years in a job, you're like, wow, why am I commuting every weekend to my job? And why am I going to work in the dark and coming home in the dark? And gosh, I've been working for a toxic boss for two years and I have migraines. You, you don't think about your health 
until you're in the middle of it. And then you can't orchestrate an, an off ramp. You're stressed. You're trying to find the next job. So I think if we talk people up front, pay package, good title, good, always negotiate, but ask yourself, is this a healthy job for you? Is it a healthy sector? Are you doing something that is making you, you know, better or is it really a negative on your health? And, and do you work for a healthy company? I'm sure you guys have been in places before where you're like, a lot of people look really unhappy here. That's right. a signal, you know, that's a cue. So I, I really hope that that's what everyone, you know, got out of the book is don't wait too long to realize that at the end of the day, you get one run on this planet and make yeah. it count yeah. and, and you might as well be safe. Ah. So it's a whole it map. It's your own mapping of the healthcare yeah. system and how you went through it. And that's phenomenal. That's phenomenal. I'm and definitely how right. jobs, You know, how I, how I value things and, I don't know. My husband's like, it's a little Machiavellian. Like I didn't really realize, you know, it's a big game. I, you know, like you can be a yep. good corporate. I really have always enjoyed navigating, you know, corporate America. Eugene's really good at it too, but some people are good at it. Some people are not. And some people are that maybe shouldn't be promoted, but they navigated the system better. And, you know, you yeah, find like like, really was it Machiavelli? What wasn't he? Uh, you know, courting Spanish kings there now with you in Barcelona with, with uh, Eugene. <laughs> that, that, that's right. That's right. I was. I was actually. We. You know what? I'm gonna. So today, by the way, I chose to drink this Dutch old fashioned uh, in kind of celebration of uh, Megan. You know, setting up the job for this thing and me Amsterdam. moving to Amsterdam. Yeah. And actually today we finally got, it's called the Spanish niece. So like the full sort of residency status here because we were in a, on a visa. So I'm, ju I'm just drinking guys. That's well I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I love it. I'm out of coffee. It. I'm out of coffee. <laughs> yeah, I've got a diet Sprite. This is why you have a hot show. This is the hot show, by the way. I saw the interview with Pear Therapeutics. How fascinating. That was such a good uh, interview uh, with, you guys pulled off. That went pretty uh, viral, I think with uh corey the dtx one yeah. that's yeah, that's my really I, th this is where i'm cheating on jim joyce that's a separate <laughs> podcast megan so just you know just fyi but yes that, that was that, no that, i'm just that was, I, i'm the i'm just the spying partner we just try to keep them fresh every week kind of duke him out meet him he's <laughs> like one of those network stars he moonlights on 60 minutes he has his own show <laughs> they you know pipe him in in the morning you know he's you know kind of a Kind of a guy that has all these different things if, going on. If if Marina actually watches this, she'll be like, you know, your head is gonna blow up or something, you know, to me. She knows what she married, and you married up. So I think uh, <laughs> you're, that you're that is true. <laughs> you know, I love the I, I love the whole Machiavellian uh, uh, aspect. Oh, I no, I know this is bad. Now I gave my secret away. You know, we didn't think. Of you. <laughs> I'm someone who. I would say I, I just spent like ever since this whole the situation that we're in globally here came in. Um, I've started getting into playlists. So like, I have the, you know, a pandemic playlist, but I also have a playlist um, that when I enter the house, I have an entrance playlist. So the music no. goes on the Alexa, you know, as I walk into the house every night. When I come in. <laughs> so what is what is a home entry walk-in song because I, I love UFC and MMA and everyone's got their walkout song I've never heard that oh, there could be a, it's a epic are you gonna play one for us now yeah, what yeah is it? it's what epic is, well the, the, yeah the, the first one I mean you know the first one I, I, I it's you know it's a Tom Jones song it's uh you know sex okay. bomb <laughs> sex bomb but, then, but we'll go right out of that <laughs> I had a sec then it you know then we go, go to, to number two man go to number two, go to number two. quick 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 yeah. Before I get canceled, uh, getting jiggy, getting jiggy with it, <laughs> and then Eugene, what would okay? Then what? So you got getting jiggy. That's acceptable. So I, I see a theme going on when you enter your house. By the way, yeah. Who who let the dogs out? And then oh, we go. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. So I I was yeah. asked. I forget which conference it is. They wanted to play some song, and this was the... Beastie Boys. Am I hearing right to party? Yes. I like it. That's going on the list. Are you guys impressed that I heard that it was Beastie Boys, even though you couldn't even hear it? You got it in one tune. Yeah. You got that in one. You literally, I think it was like one beat. You got that. That's, a That's proper, impressive. Proper Brooklyn boy there. <laughs> I yeah. I was asked um, also like it was some conference in Belgium and I chose Be Nice. 
Have you heard the Be Nice Black Eyed Peas? It's a good one. Like I'm not going to try singing. But you know what? We should get Marty and Ritesh on <laughs> to just, you know, they've been going, uh, uh, you know, the, the digital health DJs. But um, yeah, yeah. this is how and, you know Eugene's taking it up a notch. He's now like Ellen. He's going to have like a DJ crew off to the side. They'll be walking. Yeah. <laughs> right. But back to you, Meg. Back yeah, to right. you. All right. So um, you went to Cardinal, but then now are you doing private equity stuff? And I know you've sort of been in and around venture capital. Like, how are you looking at a lot of this from a money flow perspective, private equity, which squeezes, right? Um, but also gives opportunity to pull assets together for better efficiency. I'll, I'll pause here because I'm not in private equity, but um, maybe talk a little bit about your time there and what you're doing. Yeah. So I've been in private equity now almost four years. When I left corporate America, I really wanted to work uh, in the field of investing. I felt like I you know, ran M&A at Cardinal. I did M&A in strategy at Medco. I did strategy at Pfizer. It seems like wherever I went, no matter how hard I tried to be an operator, they're like, and you're going to do strategy. I was like, okay, here I go again. So when I left corporate America, I'm like, wow, I, I would love to do private equity. I love to build things. I love to put things together. Uh, you know, being around for so long, I had a pretty good Rolodex. So I could always connect to people with ideas. And, you know, you find that capital sometimes can be the commodity to really do well in healthcare. It's capital, content, and connections, all three tend to be the winning formula. And I felt like I could bring a lot of alpha around things that weren't you know, necessarily capital, but nobody wanted to hire me when I got out of the Fortune 500. They said, oh, you weren't a banker. I was like, what? I did like a hundred deals. Like, I don't understand, you know? And right. so I said, well, what if I worked for free and learned something? So I followed two people around for a year uh, that let me you know, be near them and learn an apprentice from them. And so I remember telling my husband, you know, I'm going to take a year off. It's like going back to school. Uh, a friend of mine at Lazard set up a debt workshop. I went and learned everything about debt, even though it turns out I did not want to financially engineer. I wanted to grow things, which is more venture. And it's ironic, venture and private equity is kind of meeting in the middle now where there's this like massive amount of growth capital. So I spent the year learning, reading and studying and getting close to people. And I knew eventually I would break in. And then every month I picked something fun to do. I went to Coachella. I jumped out of an airplane with my mom over Dubai and it just kind of kept going on. And my husband was like, what, what happened to the job? And I was like, oh, I'm working on it. And he's like, not really. Like we're, you know, we're, we're in Morocco and we're here. And, and I was like, okay, I'm, you know, this is what, you know, isn't this what Bill Gates does? He, you know, goes to a cabin and thinks about things. And so I, I thought like, maybe I could do that. But I eventually was a reference for somebody who got a job in private equity. And I remember I was surfing and it was really hot on the sand and I wanted to be the reference really fast. I wanted to get on with my day. I was also really jealous. Like this person's getting into private equity and I've been trying out for free. I was like so aggravated by it, but I was a good reference. That's what you do for good people. And it boomeranged right back to me, the law of abundance. I give to people and the world comes back to you better. And that person called me and said, hey, listen, there's a family office. They're looking for someone that is more patient with capital, more strategic, not looking to flip things so fast. They want to grow ideas and have a thesis and they want to put $5 billion to work. And I was like, really? Wow. That's like amazing. And I interviewed and I got the job and I was off to the races. The first deal uh, we did was Paracel. It was like one of the largest take privates that year. It was a CRO that needed a lot of digital help, needed a lot of, you know, right. ideas for strategy. It was an amazing company with an amazing founder and team. Uh, and then the next one is uh, we built something called K2 Health Ventures, which pro provides uh, venture capital and, and debt to life sciences. And then the last deal I did was animal health. You're going to think that's biased, but, uh, you know, cash pay, no Medicare. Uh, you now know why people love animal health. There's a big push in digital for animal health. You want to track the dog, yep. own the dog. There's a lot of economics if you can constantly be talking to a patient that can't talk back and its owner will pay anything to help the dog feel better. So that's what I did. And then after we spent the 5 billion, um, I said, Hey, I'd love to do more deal making in the U S and I got really lucky. I got picked up by Goldman Sachs to be an advisor and have been there for, you know, the last nine months. And I absolutely love it. And they allow me to teach. I sit on the board of tenant 
And then I put my own money to work in, in small deals. I put some money into Mind Bloom, which is uh, psychedelics yep. for depression. Ketamine, an amazing business model. Uh, I was an investor in Hims, which I love. I thought that was a genius model. And that was before COVID. And I've always loved telehealth. I've always thought that that, you know, leverages the talent, right? You don't need a doctor and a nurse all the time. If there's something telehealth or a tech can do, you want to offload those things that are of lower value to, uh, you know, assets or, te or technology that can make people better. And so I have this great, you know, symbiotic set of activities that feed off each other. I learned so much from teaching, right? Because, yep. you know, half the people in the class want to be entrepreneurs and they're changing the world. Literally, like 22 year olds are changing the world. I was lifeguarding then. And so it's amazing. <laughs> do, do you ever get stumped by a question from the students? Like, holy shit, I haven't looked at it or I haven't thought about it that way. Like, I'm, I'm actually kind of curious because I, I get stumped all the time like mentees and stuff like that which is great oh, i love oh. it that's why all the time I, especially on like you know ai and and bitcoin and coding and you know if i could go back again that you know i i would have majored probably in computer science and a, and a side of math right that's what you would tell everybody it just i i'm always so stumped and interested you, uh by it and you gotta study up for you gotta study up on nfts Megan. Oh, I know. I Come know. on, this you know, that's going to be in the next week's question to you from your students. I'm on it. I'm on it. I think when we played Jim's walk-in song, that actually could go from <laughs> right. that, that's going to be the health, health NFT. So, so Megan, my, my older one is buying Bitcoins. Literally, that's like awesome. this morning, she was like that's telling awesome. me that she's buying find, Bitcoin. I find kids, I, you know, I say kids, young adults, um, you, absolutely fascinating like we were just interviewing for position at health beacon the other day and we just sat back and um just they're they're the way they think about the world the way they connect the dots on things the way they kind of you know they're they're so much more well-rounded than i ever was I, you know it was it was just chasing but yeah i would it was the 26 grand versus the 22 grand it was like very clear you know it was you know was status or power or money or whatever and they come in with the, this um, real sense of the world. It, what do you think is going on right now? Like, what's your take on, on these new, like we started the podcast before you came in, just talking about better health and talking about, you know, just the, the frenetic act activity. I, I'm a bull on it. That's a, you know, I think Eugene, you're somewhere in between in terms of why, the capital. Why did you plant the seed right away? You know, it was a leading question, Jim. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, but I, I, I wanted to what, no, what's but like. We, we, we talked just earlier, better therapeutics that is spacking out with no revenues and not even an approved product yet, right? Um, then we have doximity, you know, just again, you know, a, a billion a week going into digital health, roughly, right? So I just wanted to expand on it, Jim. I'm sorry, like a number. So <laughs> back to you, Ms. Fitzgerald. Yeah, so what do you, sorry, you guys are, I feel like what? you answered your own question. No, no, I no, just your opinion. We threw out our opinions. We tend to do that, but the, <laughs> but I, what, what, like, what's your take on what's going on? How are you feeling? How are you feeling about the investment climate? You know, where are you seeing the action? Does it make sense to you? Oh yeah. So, oh gosh, that's such a good question. So one, I think there's tons of capital. And I'm married to an economist who, you know, reminds me he's got inflation indicators. So right now, like things are great, right? We're we're definitely in, in an upswing and everyone feels it. It feels a little bit euphoric and it feels like there's more capital than there's ideas. And so things are trading, you know, for intense and enormous prices. I like a few areas. I love pharma services. It's not just because of COVID, which I think has been, you know, wind at the back of pharma, but I think there's been like real innovation in oncology and cell therapy. And, you know, Eugene, when we were at Medco, we really didn't talk about cure. And now you can talk about cure. And for many cancers, you can talk about it as being a chronic disease. So I love pharma and all the, the, the services that go around it. And we realized this right when the vaccine got done. You got a vaccine done in a year and then it's like, wow, this logistics is really hard. This distribution is really hard. A plant is really hard and we're mixing up vaccines and now we have to throw 15 million away because we didn't have capacity. And I think a lot of people were not aware of the channel, which is what we were so used to at Medco. So I love pharma. I love the channel. 
I love all things having to do with um, care in the home and putting people in the most optimal setting to make them happy and healthy and then knowing to put them in the right setting if it's an acute problem. Same with the physicians, same with the nurses. You should be tailoring what you need based on setting, the person seeing you, the medication and the protocol. And I think we're getting better at that. We're getting more predictive and therefore digital and tech runs through it. You know, if you look at healthcare, it's really an industrial tech and financial problem. Like it almost wouldn't be its own sector. You would just say, okay, it, it really breaks down in those three areas. And I think, you know, COVID really teleported telehealth by five years because, you know, Medicare decided to reimburse it. They decided to, you know, get rid of some of the regulatory bureaucracy. That's always been the problem with it. So I think now it, it sticks because now the real benefit is being, you know, shining through. And that is, you know, that it's, it, it's just so incredibly valuable uh, and effective at scaling what you do. Now, I think what's going to be interesting is to see who puts things together, like Lavongo. Will there be one for oncology? Will there be one for something else? I think it's all the wrappers that go around, uh, you know, the digital product, if you will, or the telehealth product that we're going to go a lot deeper uh, with, with AI and what we can do. And I think that'll be, I, I think that's what I'm really interested about. A lot, lot more VC money there because a lot of them a lot of money to to warrant a private equity check but a lot of energy if you look out let's say five years like if you look out like do you see like like if you were to to bet on it would you see like a few key players you know like you know you got like an amazon playing in health with like a teledoc or how do you what do you think the landscape would we look like because it seems like a lot of the the products feel like each other you know like chronic disease management behavioral management you know and they're coming at it from or will will be as fragmented as it's like? I think it's gonna be fragmented for a long time. I think all the traditional players will consolidate first. Three PBMs, three distributors, three payers, there'll be three CROs, four CROs. Everyone that is like a major player now that makes up the Fortune 500 will look totally different in five years. And then there's all the incumbents. There's all the, the people, you know, whether it's Best Buy, Amazon, Apple, uh, people buying Fitbit or Whoops or all the data and all the things that go along with monitoring the data. That to me is like the next gen of the Fortune 500. And they start to sift out all the incumbents and they start becoming the players or they start buying things. It's ironic to me. Amazon can buy any healthcare company in the Fortune 500 at once. Wouldn't even miss a beat. Could buy a distributor, could buy a PBM. Could totally right. vertically integrate if it wanted to, and it's choosing to. But take they don't want to buy the mess. They don't want to buy the mess with it. They'd rather yeah. build it from somewhat of a scratch, right? And we're starting yeah. to see some of the moves. And uh, what is it? I mean, you mentioned you know Amazon, but like we shouldn't un underestimate Microsoft, right? I mean, the new oh. uh, the the new acquisition, and then this morning I watched they did a huge deal with AXA now, right? Yeah. So yeah, I, I and think they never. They hardly ever deal make, and forever I was told Apple and Microsoft will never take a vertical in healthcare. That's not what we do, and that's exactly what they're doing. But the time is right for them. When you say that, it wasn't really right five years ago. Now it's perfectly timed with telehealth and AI and data and predictive analytics, and we're now you know approving drugs off you know phase two data. We've just gotten better, so I feel like it's their time. And I think there's just going to be a flurry of activity and it's going to take a while before we can call it and say, yeah, these are the five new players. I think it's going to be a little while. I think there's going to be a lot of players and it's going to be really exciting. Just adding in like even Google, right? This week or last week, I, I can't keep track of all these announcements sort of re, you know, relaunching for lack of a better term, not the full Google health, but like, you know, Missy, Missy yeah. Krasner, Ronnie Zeger, who were like in that first generation of the Google health. It's, you know, it's all timing. Um, and, you know, um, it's interesting because uh, your sort of predictions on, or, or the love or I'll call it the Megan Fitzgerald thesis, right, of pharma and care at home. And you mentioned yourself, you invested into HIMSS, right? <clears throat> um, so where, where's in your thesis the consumer, right? Because, I mean, this is sort of coming at it from, not from within the healthcare system, but from a consumer perspective. Um, and then the two worlds are starting to merge, right, a bit. <clears throat> yeah. where, where, are you, where are your headers? Yeah. 
I think the one you can look at is I, I was um, early in Gelesis, which launched Plenity, which is a weight loss product, did a partnership with Roe. They did a telehealth wrapper, this idea that I'm talking about where you have product service wrapped around a digital, you know, if you will, wrapper, and then you're able to target um, the patients. And I think that's fascinating because they went direct to patient. They figured out what the price point was because they said, even if we had gone to, you know, a PBM and they still may have, the copay might have been what the cash pay was for the consumer. And I think the consumer appreciates that it's transparent. I know what value I'm getting from Jim and Eugene, and I'm willing to like pay for that value in return. And you're helping me lose weight, live a better life. So that's one I, I look after. I went into Gelesis because obesity was just so hard to ignore. So I find that my personal investments, you know, nobody ever wants to hear this, but I feel like I'm a public health capitalist. If it's I was on the board of senior link, we had an exit this year, Gelesis, mental health, hymns, there's a thread to what I like to invest in, which ties to what I am at my heart. And that is somebody that roots for the patient. So I don't see them as a consumer. I see them as a patient because they're at a vulnerable point where information is asymmetrical. They want to be trusted. They're not buying Bitcoin. They're not making a trade. You're getting them when times are tough and they're making a really personal and serious decision. And so I never forget that they're the patient it's just digital helps to reach them. It's, it's a mode of reaching the patient that is really personal. It's discreet. It's quick. You know, with COVID now we all, everything gets door dashed. If it takes more than 10 minutes, I'm like, what do you mean? What do you mean it takes 12 minutes? Yep. We've conditioned everybody that you want it fast. <clears throat> so I think the consumer fits in as a patient. And I also think they're willing to now pay and allocate money and payers are pushing more to them. I think they're becoming a lot more sophisticated, but we could never forget that they still need the human interaction. And I think the companies that figure out the ratio of human to tech wins. So if you don't need a surgeon, don't use a surgeon. Use this, you know, use this with tech. In the home, a caregiver plus tech, perfect combination. You can't put an 80-year-old in an Uber you know, they still need somebody. They still need empathy. They still need someone, you know, to be with them. So I don't think there's ever going to be, you know, a robot in the home. But I think half the equation could be handled by tech and digital. I mean, look, you know, Jim, Jim is the perfect example of my mental health partner. Right? <laughs> I thought you were going to say technology. No. <laughs> it's really not Jim. I knew it. This is what you're going to do to me. This is the joke <laughs> of the show. He's an avatar. Right, right. An avatar. I think we'd, we'd probably edit we've, it a little bit. We've, we've actually done that episode already with avatar. <laughs> oh, <I think>. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. But what do you think? I mean, you, you do this every day. Like, talk about asking me something that I don't know nearly as much about as you two. What do you both think? Are you more bullish than me? Are you about the same? Where, yeah, where, I think where, we're... No, I think I like I like the way you describe it. You know, I, I a couple of things like fascinated me right now is you know like like we're calling you. Well, I'm in South Carolina right now, but I'm usually in Dublin, Ireland, and Eugene's in Barcelona. Is I'm fascinated by um, the that healthcare companies, you know, only really pharmaceutical companies globalized in the past. You know, when you saw like efforts from like companies that you work for, you guys tried to set up Medco. You know, you tried to do this, and it just it didn't work. Like it was so unusual. So I'm fascinated that digital might. Um, start to create global giants in a way that it couldn't happen in other healthcare systems. So I, I think that's a really, you know, that, that for me, that's kind of, that's kind of interesting. And at the same time, we have this like nationalization that's happening inside there. Um, so I, I think that's one element. And then the other side is just, I think you brought it up too. this idea that, you know, cancer becomes a chronic condition. Like we had on, um, you know, food as medicine as one, you know, we had on our, our last uh, guest, just that the innovation that's going to happen, um, all this new kind of tech that's going to, you know, proteins and biologics and all this stuff that's going to come at us, that the system's going to have to evolve to meet it. So I don't know, that's how I'm thinking about, there's going to be some, there's a few wild cards, I guess, out there that maybe we can't think about. I made my book, I always, I always copy people's ideas. I love that idea that digital could follow a path like biopharma unlike health services has been able to do because of the payers and the sick funds and this and that and all the things Eugene and I had to deal with. Eugene, what about you? What say you? How, how do you more bullish so I, than us I, or what? 
I, I, I am actually bullish on, and I do call them consumers because ultimately yeah. the experience sucks yeah. um, and, um, and the individuals. And the question is, so I'm, I'm bullish on the fact that there's a tremendous amount of entrepreneurs that are solving real world problems. No longer just, you know, a tech push, here's a cool toy, right? I think there's um, enough of experienced entrepreneurs and teams, you know, um, that are in this market now that are not just recognizing the problems, but also know how to solve them. I think there's the economies of scale, which I, you know, that that's, I think, is the what, what you mentioned, Jim, your prediction is, look, Teladoc is, I don't know in how many countries, right? But to me, Teladoc is the pipes. The question is, how do you get that personal touch for a particular therapeutic area for a particular disease and then pull that together? And I think that's where the next frontier is. And I don't think there's enough great targets in all of that from a company perspective to say, what is this holistic experience for that individual? Notice I don't even say consumer, just individual. And I think that will persist. Um, I mean, look, uh, when, when Livongo went public, I want to say they covered 40,000 lives or something like that at the time, right? Just, again, huge effort, right? Um, tons of money went public. I want to say 40,000, but uh, you might be a little bit more, but 300 million people in US, right? So I think, I think the outcomes to the valuations are astounding to me. Yeah. And that, and the last thing I'll say is, um, and I know it's slowed down quite a bit in the last month, the whole spacking out and new SPACs. I know I've heard sort of through the grapevine that it's becoming much, much harder now. And I think it's because there's actually not enough targets out there, what I talked about before. And so this whole SPAC, um, and I think it's going to be a shit show in the next three years on, on this. Well, I'm involved wow. in one. Oh, shut I up. <laughs> yeah, no, it's okay. It's, it's a good, it's a good debate. I'm involved in a SPAC, and I picked uh, a healthcare tech group who was very focused. Uh, I did this with with uh, Thimblepoint and uh, Launch Capital because they just have an amazing track record, and we had worked together on Jealousis. So I think those that despack will go on to be serial despackers. They're they'll be good at it. They know what they want to do. Then there's a whole bunch of people that just got in and are mucking it up and probably won't despack, aren't good enough to get a management team to sign on with them, aren't earning their promote. You have to earn your promote. You have to tell the company why you're gonna do well by them. And I think there'll be carnage there. I, I agree there'll be carnage, but I think the good ones uh, will be around and rise up and there'll be quite a few. I don't think it'll go away. It's just another instrument to get, um, you know, to get money and to get liquidity. I mean, hey. SPAC's been around, right? They've been around. Yeah, right. It just yeah. all of a sudden it's you know, um, it's it's, yeah. It's a sign. I think it's just phenomenal because there's so much like coming back to there's so much work to do. Um, that that capital needs to be find faster, more efficient ways to get into the market to get the tools and you know having like in my own company, you know, in Eugene has the same experience. You know, like raising capital and trying to explain. You know, like you know, remember you know when I was starting my health beacon up, it was like. You know, it's not a pharma project. It's not a biotech project. You know, right. and it's not a technology. It's kind of somewhere in between. And you get kind of you have to kind of pretend you care about IP when you're talking to the pharma people, and then you have to pretend you care about user centered design. You know, over and here, you use words like consumer versus patient. It's so funny. People always say, "Well, what analyst would cover you? Would it be a pharma analyst? Would it be the tech analyst? Like, right. what is it?" And so I think also. You know, the shakeout of the traditional players means there'll also be new analysts. There's new areas and new verticals and sectors to cover. So I think we're at a real renaissance for health. I think so. I think so. A real change where we're starting to see people call them consumers in some ways and in some areas they behave like consumers. And then we have new sources of capital and new sources of uh, strategic partners. We also didn't touch on, I'm down here in Florida. You have to redefine what it means to be old. People down here in their 80s, they're wearing skinny jeans and they're rocking it out at the Apple bar. <laughs> My mom drives a zipping around in a Fiat. She's in her 70s and she's a caregiver for someone in her 90s. So don't call her old. She's jumping out of a plane. You've yeah. got my husband with the Whoop app here, the iWatch here. He wakes up every morning and he goes, I'm only 75% recovered. You must have like kicked me last night in bed. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> I can't deal with your recovery anymore. Like, what should be your recovery? Where's the data on it? So, you know, you've you got to, should... 
segment of the market that wants to be their own best Olympic athlete, whatever it is, at whatever age, they're going to perform to the yeah. best that their body can perform. And they're going to use all the digital tools to do that. So they're going to drive, I think, adoption with some of the relics in healthcare that are like, well, I don't know, it's HIPAA and blah, blah, blah. There's enough people pushing it now that right. uh, they're making you want to talk and have it. It just, it just is a bit much to live with someone that you know, is recording their calories, recording their sleep, and we're walking around <laughs> talking about, you know, I recovered at 78 versus 76. Do you notice a difference? No, I really don't, you know, so. <laughs> you should you should actually watch one of the early, a uh, couple of episodes ago, we had Zaina Kayat talking about ageism, and she has actually a book uh, that, that, that came out on sort of aging and active aging, and um, and just, you know, some stats, I think like 30% uh, of our coaches, we, we ask all of our coaches when they sign up to choose up to five categories and active aging is like the third or the fourth most popular. Yeah. I'm blown away. I, I, I think age, ageism, aging, you know, how we think about that is also going through this kind of really interesting period. Like my folks um, are also in Florida and I'm blown away, blown away by their lives. It's like summer camp for old people. You know, it's okay. like <laughs> it's, yeah. running around so their golf carts. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I can't hang with any of them. I ran the New York Marathon and they showed all the people from Naples, Florida and this 78 year old rocked me by like half time, by like half. I was like, did she only run 13 miles? No, she friggin' fucked <laughs> it. And so yeah. I was like, God, oh, don't put me in the paper with her, you know, don't even bother. So it, it's just amazing to me that it, forget absence of disease. That's what you think of as you age or we all have five chronic right. conditions at Medicare. There's, there's a desire to be as, um, to thrive as much as possible for as long as possible in the settings that matter. And I, I think, you know, that's why there's funds that are dedicated to aging. There's like actually yeah. people that only invest you know, in aging. I only invest in like public health things. And I hope someday someone else calls me or listens to your show and says, I'm a public health capitalist too. But there's all these sectors of like pockets of money where people are going deep on a thesis. And there's, right. a, you know, as Eugene said, there's enough per capita to do it, right? There's, you know, 350 million per capita that you try and get. And some people can get 40,000 and have a multi-billion dollar market cap. It's like a specialty drug, right? So it, right. it's yeah. kind of mind blowing. So Jim, you want to do your uh, yeah? No, I'm dying to hear this one. Here. So, so, okay. So when you if you can't like, me, this is like usually you tell a guest something. I got nothing. Zero. Nothing. Is that <laughs> oh. what you guys do? Yeah, we we're we're like the vampires. We're just yeah, I know, we're I know. energy exactly. every Wednesday. Exactly. That's how yeah, we, 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 we We seem smiley and charming, but we're just sucking information out. Yeah. Very Oprah like. Yeah, very Oprah like. I'm saying things I shouldn't, and you know. Next no, but yeah, so funny. Yeah. one of your kids in your class, you know, comes up to you and says, I want to be um, a digital health entrepreneur and I want to go into it. What kind of advice, what, what kind of advice would you give them or her? Gosh, it's so boring what I say. And that's why I'm so bad at this. That's why I was shocked when, when Eugene called and said, I want you to be on the digital health podcast. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's like a dream that somebody would even think I had something to say. Because whenever someone tells me about an idea, I'm always like, what problem are you solving and who's paying for it? So whenever I hear about digital health, it's back to you know treating it like an industrial tech yeah. or financial problem. And I always find that sometimes the greatest innovation is just not sexy in healthcare. It's like making billing more efficient. Everyone's like, I don't want to do that. That's not a moonshot. I'm like, it's Nobel laureate work. If you fixed billing or administration, you would win everything. So I find, I always say, what are you doing? Because there's so much friction in healthcare, unless you're just going so, you know, solely consumer, you know, less about the patient and you're going for cash pay. Are you making the system better with less friction? What are you doing? And who wants to pay you for that? That's that's my advice every single time. But you guys tell me, because this is what you do. What should I say to the student? I love it. What's the problem and who's going to pay for it? I love it. <laughs> but, it. Honestly, I mean, we, we've talked about this even on, on the Shadow of Digital Health for four seasons. It's um, at the end of the day, uh, the word digital, uh, like even the digital therapeutics, it's just another therapy. It just happens to be digital, right? And at the end of the day, is, is, does, is it going to have outcomes, right? Is it going to help somebody? 
and how the hell are you going to get paid? So there you go. You don't need to be in digital health, Megan. Oh, and I, I also I, think, are you going to remove waste and inefficiency? So with a digital therapeutic, does all children need to be on as much Adderall as they are on? Wouldn't it be great if you started with the digital therapeutic and that intervention, and then you're adding on the drug or adding on the surgery or adding on the other intervention? Look at me holistically. Pay for me mm -hmm. holistically. What else do I need? I volunteered during COVID across the street at the hospital, and we had someone on my floor. And I said, wow, she looks really healthy. She's been here a long time. And they said, Meg, she's a resident. I said, a resident? I've been out of the hospital for a while. What's a resident? She said, we can't discharge her because she's homeless. I said, oh my God, she must eat up all the EBITDA of the floor. And they're like, EBITDA, what is that? I'm like, oh, forget it. We must not make any money on this floor. Like that is a resident. So we weren't solving. We were letting her go out the front door of the hospital to come in through the emergency room and back around. Why? Yeah. I mean, this is why United Health, you know, decided to go into the real estate business. So I think we're realizing that non-health problems are now health problems, transportation, what you eat, where you live. You may say, that's not my problem. That's not a healthcare problem. Well, it'll affect your reimbursement then. So maybe it won't affect your revenue, but it's going to affect what you get paid if you don't solve for it. And I think that to me is worthy of a lot of activity for those that are in digital and tech. Awesome. Love that. Non-health problems are now health problems. That's Love a it. great way so. to, really to end do, it. Right? You can Love ignore it. it. I often think like if I ran HHS, I'd merge it with some other buckets, like some of the other, you know, fundings of government should be with health because they're related, whether it's like right. education or urban planning. Megan, like, careful now, better. Joe Biden, Joe Biden is going to come calling. <laughs> After no, I, have this episode airs. I have all those bad emails to you. <laughs> you two would do a show and be like, oh, yeah, look at this. <laughs> Awesome. Well, listen, thanks for making the time. It was awesome to reconnect and um, we'll, I'm sure, be chatting much, much more. I'm Thank so you. proud of you, Eugene and Jim. What a great friend to make. And uh, if I get to Ireland or you need me to go visit, let me know. And uh, Eugene, you're just a great person. Just really, uh, you know, it matters. People that you work with matter and you remember them. And so, you know, here we are 20 years later, you're still just a great person. So thanks for having Thank me you. on. I'm really honored. Lovely. Cheers.